Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. At my signal, unleash hell. Greetings, welcome, happy Thursday. You are listening to News Talk Saga 960. Mark Petrano with you for the next two solid gold hours of freedom-loving news talk. Awesomeness. So very glad that you could join us on this Thursday edition of the Mark Petrano Show. Uh, Tom Korski is going to be uh, on in segment number two, Black Locks Reporter confirming what many of us have been saying on this show for a long time, that lockdowns did more harm than good for children. Uh, More on that coming up. Some polling as well suggesting that the NDP is running neck and neck with the conservatives. Ecos polling suggests that Jugmeet Singh, an increasingly attractive option for, believe it or not, conservatives. (laughs) Yeah, bizarre as as that may sound. I'm not sure I believe it, but uh, then again, who knows? Uh, Clinton's going to be on this show a little later on to talk about that. Eric Clapton said he will not perform at any venues that require attendees to prove they have been vaccinated against COVID-19. Clapton issued his statement in response to Prime Minister Boris Johnson's announcement this week that vaccine passes would be required to enter nightclubs and venues. Well, I don't blame Eric entirely because uh, he had a terrible time after taking the AstraZeneca shots. That included paralysis of his hand. Cocaine. That went on for weeks, and he says the COVID jab almost killed him. So, you know, I, I don't blame Eric. Timeless riff that, eh? I could listen to that all day. All right, so the liberals seem to be pushing division of all kind. And so and there was a story floating around yesterday about a self-defense club in Etobicoke that didn't want vaccinated people signing up for their club. Still looking into that. But uh, hey, are we heading down that road, a vaccine apartheid? So if the liberals love divisions, uh, you know, it's all about divide and conquer for these people. So maybe that's uh, what they're pushing. I don't know. Once again, the lockdown's doing way more damage to school children than COVID. New federal data confirming that school, playground, and rink closures negatively affected more Canadian school children than the pandemic. And that story in Black Locks Reporter, sadly, 14 children died in Ontario. That's the only province to publish data for kids under 14. That means that uh, nationally the number is probably uh, less than 40. The public health agency cited significant disruptions to daily life for the 99.9% of children who were never hospitalized with COVID. 
Listen, the feds uh, gave themselves some cover, though, saying this. Lockdowns have been implemented across Canada, and these measures have been key to help curb the spread of COVID-19. But at the same time, they have significantly altered Canadian families' daily life. Yeah, you think? And by the way, other countries, including Sweden, have proven that lockdowns are not necessary. You know, what you want to do is push herd immunity. And in the long term, that's probably the smartest option, causing a hell of a lot less in the way of disruption, a lot less in the way of opiate addiction, domestic abuses, all the things that I was talking to Carla Bailey about just yesterday. Anyway, so 8.1 million children of all ages nationwide uh, in Canada, out of that number, fewer than 1,400 were hospitalized with coronavirus, at least up to now. And of those, 165 were treated in uh, ICUs. The agency said lockdowns negatively affected more children, especially boys and girls, diagnosed with cognitive, behavioral, and emotional disabilities. Well, I, again, this is what I was talking with Carla about, and uh, now we have some numbers. And so we don't know the long-term effect yet. I mean, most kids are pretty resilient, but this crap has got to stop ASAP. The NDP now saying that Internet censorship, yeah, it's okay with them. I mentioned that they're getting more popular. Maybe they're starting to flex their muscles a little bit, flexing their communist muscles. NDP leader Jugmeet Singh saying uh, he would pledge support for urgent passage of an unprecedented Internet censorship bill. This is serious, Singh told reporters. We've got hate speech laws, says Singh. We know and we've agreed as a society there are certain things you can't say. Absolutely not. Yeah, again, we do have those hate hate laws in place. Right now, he says, you can't use hate speech in public or in written form. There can be remedies. If you're going to do it online, there is no remedy. You know what? That's a load of baloney. The same laws that apply as far as hate is concerned in print, they also apply on the Internet. So I don't know what the hell he's talking about. Parliament in 1970 banned hate speech under the criminal code. And Cabinet uh, on June the 23rd introduced Bill C-36, an act to amend the criminal code to further ban online content deemed to foment detestation or vilification. Well, that can uh, capture a whole lot of people. That can capture people who don't like the NDP. And that includes, uh, you know, some Internet publishers, bloggers, Facebook users, and others could face fines of up to $70,000 or house arrest. This is a road towards censorship. And here's Jugmeet Singh all in. Well, anyway, Trudeau, Trudeau loves pushing online censorship. And he justifies it under the guise of, well, we have to protect people from nationalism and things like populism because those things are racist. Those things are really bad, really bad. Are they? Are they really bad? I mean, uh, let's face it. There's a lot of people who are, I say, members of an ethnic minority, and they support populism. Let's listen. Well, I think, first of all, let's recognize that Canada is not immune to the forces at work around it. We are seeing a rise of hatred, a rise of intolerance, uh, fed in some places by uh, populism and by politics of division, uh, that is a global phenomenon, fed in by uh, by, misinformation, disinformation, and hatred in social media. And this is a reality around the world that. So he's obsessed. Obsessed. Um, with controlling the message. 
Because remember, these are the guys who bought off the media. These are the people who paid off uh, all those media sources so that they would uh, basically be responsible for brainwashing Canadians, that they would be tethered, uh, dependent on government, and as a result, they've been pushing the government line ever since. This dictatorship-loving, communist-worshipping prime minister is afraid of the rise of leaders who actually love their country and think it's worth keeping because he doesn't. Remember, this is the guy who referred to Canada once again as the first post-nation state. Well, what does that mean exactly? Well, that means he's dismantling the place. He's destroying it for his UN overlords. That's why he hates nationalism, because nationalism basically means that people love the nation. They support the nation. They want to grow Canada. They want to strengthen Canada. This guy wants to wreck the place. And so to him, he says nationalism's, nationalism is another indicator of division and hatred. Trudeau hates populism. It's probably a good thing. So, And so liberals, once again, obsessed with control of information. And that's why, once again, they bought off the media. That way you can pay for your own brainwashing courtesy of the government controlled media and, and uh, organizations like the CBC and others. The privates are no better. And by the way, I've spoken a lot about that newspaper fund. Turns out that there was zero job creation for almost $600 million. Yeah, also the story from Blacklocks, uh, a half billion dollar newspaper bailout did not create jobs as promised. Yeah, that, according to the Department of Canadian Heritage, staff counted a continued net loss of thousands of jobs, although publishers claimed increased readership during the pandemic. This is the quote on the story. The decrease in advertising revenues caused by the COVID-19 pandemic led to service reductions and newspaper closures, resulting in the loss of more than 2,500 jobs that, in a briefing note, improving uh, federal support for journalism. What a misnomer that is. <laughs> Anytime the feds throw money at journalism, it just makes them dependent on government. And so you're not going to increase the level of accountability. You're not going to increase the ability of journalistic organizations, newspapers, whatever they happen to be, to uh, you know keep the government, uh, to hold the government to account by the way, fake uh, U.S. President Joe Biden held a town hall last night, which aired on far-left CNN and was covered later on on Fox News' The Laura Ingram Show. Uh, Jim sent uh, this along this morning. Let's listen to Fox's coverage. Stories of the day. For that, we turn to Fox News contributor Raymond Arroyo. Uh, Raymond, um, Biden had a town hall tonight. Um, I have to confess, I did watch a few minutes <laughs> here and there. What well, happened? Well, then you know he spent most of his time filibustering. He told old stories and trotted out a lot of those old campaign lines. He made no news, Laura, but he did leave an impression. The question is whether or not we should be in a position where you uh, um, are, why can't the, the, the experts say, we know that this virus is, in fact, uh, um, uh, it, it, it's going to be, uh, or excuse me, we, we, we know why all the drugs approved are not temporarily approved, but permanently approved. Yeah. That's not painful. Who we are. I mean, you almost hate running it because it's, uh, it's sad. And yet this guy is the leader of the free world. And so we should absolutely be concerned. 
This tweet this morning I saw, thanks to 9-11, the 1993 attempt to blow up the World Trade Center is a little remembered event. Uh, I remember when it happened. It was uh, very troubling at the time. Obviously, what happened a few years later was a lot worse. But what is less known, according to uh, the poster here, is that the bomb that nearly murdered tens of thousands of people was built with the help of an FBI informant. And more and more is coming out now about how the FBI was involved in the January 6th, I guess you want to call it, incursion on uh, the Capitol building with all those protesters going into that facility. Uh, Some people have called it the worst thing since the Civil War. It wasn't even close. But it's clear that uh, a lot of the people who were involved in that incident were actually there to incite. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. That's why we have these unindicted co-conspirators, people who were there but never were charged. Well, who were these people? Well, it turns out that at least some of them had been uh, coached, if you want to call it that, trained, involved in an FBI um, sting operation, if you want to call it, to incite what happened on that day. And so that's probably one of the reasons why Nancy Pelosi uh, has done so little to look into security in the Capitol building and the failure of that security and what happened and why. My friend's got to take a brief timeout, commercial break. Lots more coming up, including Tom Korski after this, so don't go away. Stream us live at saga960am.ca. to the Mark Petroni radio program heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. And we are back with more on News Talk Saga 960. So very glad that you could join us on this Thursday edition of the Mark Petroni show. We have Tom Korski on the line, managing editor of Blacklocks Reporter. Check it out at blacklocks.ca, minding Ottawa's business. Welcome once again, Tom. Thank you, Mark. So Cuba, the model of human rights um, it's just uh, it's just amazing. Uh, Canadian diplomats in a briefing note praising Cuba's Communist Party for embracing, quote, social rights and freer speech, freer than what, and blamed human <laughs> rights abuses on the pandemic. It's the pandemic's fault. I'm waiting for them to blame climate change. But apparently that's the problem with human rights in Cuba. The note predates the mass arrests that we saw and the Internet censorship by Cuban authorities. But here they were. Before that happened, it seems our diplomats just thought Cuba was peachy keen. 
predates it only by a few weeks, Mark. It's a really <laughs> unfortunate memo. Uh, Those memos uh, really, did not age very well, did they? <laughs> no, 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 no. The, the shelf life was quite short. <laughs> it, it's interesting, though. Uh, th- this is your Department of Foreign Affairs for a G7 country. There's uh, These are sophisticated people who are paid. It's actually their job to analyze foreign situations and explain themselves to public office holders, in this case, the Minister of Foreign Affairs, Mark Garneau. And in this case, they make a couple of serious errors uh, that are really jarring, frankly. One is they discuss improvements they see in the Cuban Communist Party in social and economic rights. There are no social and economic rights, said Li Tonghui, former president of Taiwan, first democratically elected Chinese head of state and the 5,000-year history of democracy. President Lee said, do not be fooled when people talk about economic rights or social rights. There are only human rights, and they are universal, and we all share in them, and we're entitled to them. Unless you are a Canadian diplomat in Havana (laughs) doing deep think on this situation in Cuba. You know, uh, Mark, my father was from the old country. The emigre community was always bewildered, Polish, Vietnamese, you name it, always bewildered by the affection that uh, our intelligentsia have for communist countries. They never understood it, and it is inexplicable. But you see it in this memo. You see these thoughtful, intelligent, taxpayer-funded diplomats expressing in very soft language praise for a country, knowing that they have never lived communism, never had to eat it, never had to live with it, day after day after day. And it's inexplicable. It just doesn't make any sense. And it goes right up the line to the prime minister and to others who um, suck up to these dictators and have for decades. It's nothing new. And I guess it's reflected in the diplomatic corps. They're over there, and uh, all they see is the glories of communism. I don't understand. It's like they've got these blinkers on. And the only thing I can think of is that they really love the power, and they want to bring that same type of power here to uh, the democratic countries. They're known as, they are really the useful idiots, though, aren't they? I mean, Stalin was right about these people, or Lenin, whoever it was that coined that phrase. They truly are right. You've got these kind of brainwashed zealots in in democratic countries who really don't understand, have this bizarre view of the world, and think that somehow communism works. And if it doesn't work, that there's somebody else to blame. Yeah, it's, it's America. That's who's to blame. It's the pandemic. It's climate change. Everything but the system itself, where you have abject misery in a country like Cuba, where the people there will risk life and limb to get the hell off And if they're stuck on there, now they're finally getting to the point where they are fighting back. And what are we seeing in uh, governments? Uh, You know, actual attempts to prop these governments up. Oh, yeah, we'll help you now. Here's some stuff just to quiet the crowd a little bit. And what does that do? That just props these dictators up. It just keeps them going, right? Because it just gives them enough to, you know, put uh, put some food on the table. And here's a few scraps for you to shut you up. This is a disgrace. And these people there should be fired. There is a thread of uh, anti-Americanism in the intelligentsia in Ottawa. There's no doubt about that. Uh, it, it is a, a way, I guess, of 
uh, timid people asserting some independence, uh, knowing that there's no real consequences because the Americans are not going to kidnap Canadian business consultants off the street in Washington like they do in China. I was a reporter in China four years. My least favorite assignment was what we call the VIP tour. These would be parliamentarians, uh, public office holders. They'd stumble off the plane at Capitol Airport in Beijing for their big tour of the motherland, often jet-lagged, complete suspension of disbelief. They'd put them up in the Palace Hotel and give them the show tour. And every single one, almost without exception, gave what we called a variation of the Great Wall speech. This was a Great Wall, Great People speech that they would that they would articulate about China. Complete suspension of disbelief. You wouldn't do this if you landed in Red Deer, but they would do it in a, a land of concentration camps. Only in the last three years has that changed, really. Only in very recent times, with the kidnapping of the two Michaels, with the uh, documented atrocities and concentration camps in Xinjiang in China, only now has that tide receded where it was politically acceptable and in fact considered slightly clever and sophisticated to opine on social and economic rights improvements in police states. That's a very recent development. And yet we still had the prime minister and his cabinet skip the vote on the declaration that we saw. Uh, and we still have diplomats saying uh, communism works for Cubans, except for the ones in the inner tubes trying to get to Florida. Uh, point taken. You know, they're, they're not doing any service at all to the people suffering under the yoke of communism and dictatorship in those countries. They are an absolute disgrace. 28,000 had COVID hotel stays, Tom. Canada sent more than 28,000 people into quarantine hotels at public and personal uh, expense according to Department of Public Safety figures. Cabinet to date has not detailed the cost of the program. Those supplementary estimates, thank God you're going through this stuff. Uh, tabled, and <laughs> better you than me, my friend. That's pretty dry, but somebody's got to do it. And uh, Black Locks is doing it. Uh, so in Parliament, put the expense of border measures at, wow, that's a big number, 225 million five hundred fifty six thousand five hundred and ninety six right quarter billion dollars quarter billion dollars wow you know uh, that uh, hotel quarantine program expires august 9th as you know um, and cabinet always said that was based on science there was judicial review of that there were numerous legal challenges and the uh, hotel quarantine program was upheld i know there was a uh, criticism at one point that these were quarantine, uh, you know, jails for people who uh, were awaiting results of a COVID test. I never understood the program in the first place. It seemed like a taxpayer's ripoff. Why am I paying a free hotel accommodation, medical expenses, transport meals for someone who was traveling in a pandemic, wanted to come home and didn't have a quarantine plan? Even Cabinet now has acknowledged that the program was unnecessary. Only in late innings of that program were travelers compelled to pay their own way. It, it never made any sense. It is expiring on the 9th of August. Cabinet has not been forthcoming in disclosing just how much we paid exactly on the dime for free hotels for travelers who didn't have a quarantine plan. 
which is a phrase I've never really understood. Were these homeless people, Mark? <laughs> were they were, were they stepping off the tarmac with their Samsonite luggage and their suntan lotion, and they had no place to go? Like I, it just it never made any sense. Wait for the bills on some of these public health agency directives. Uh, these were not inexpensive programs. And we're still flying in people with COVID. In fact, the numbers are actually going up. This is an interesting. It was an interesting story. I, it's, it's all science. It's all driven <laughs> by science. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the number of planes landing at Canada's airports with COVID nineteen infected passengers on the rise. Uh, Health Canada reporting that as of uh, July the twentieth, one hundred sixty one hundred sixty one flights landed carrying passengers who tested positive for COVID nineteen so far this month, compared to one hundred eleven recorded during the first 20 days of June and 78 from May 1st to May 20th. So that's an upward trajectory of people coming in with COVID. <laughs> it's like, I gotta, this, will make for, this will make for great testimony at the inquiry. <laughs> <laughs> this is another great one on Blacklock's feature uh, prime minister in a slavery video. Uh, insert joke here. Federal agencies will spend $110,000 producing a pre-election YouTube video on slavery with commentary by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Video participants include a liberal-appointed senator who felt a sense of hopelessness after seeing images of Trudeau clowning in blackface. I, is, what is going on here? I, uh, the quote in the story is the event... Uh, will include commentary from Prime Minister Trudeau. The Department of Canadian Heritage said that in a statement. The department said it's uh, tried to interest television networks in broadcasting the 60-minute video without success. <laughs> it's uh, baffling, uh, <laughs> Mark. I, I don't know why no one questioned whether this was a good idea. But it is an election year. And that's not a coincidence. So this is a video that will commemorate Emancipation Day, which refers to, you would say, well, what, what, what does that have to do with us, Canada? No parliament ever sanctioned slavery. No fathers of confederation were slaveholders. Outside of Nova Scotia and New Brunswick, there was really no black population in Canada until about 1960. What does that have to do with us? Well, Emancipation Day is an 1834 act of the British Parliament. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. And previously there were some slaves held in colonial Canada under direction of 
an 18th century king of France. That's getting a little heavy, uh, where there will be, you know, all of us are going to be liable and must be compelled to answer for the crimes of 18th century French kings. Never had legal slavery in Canada, upper Canada, in early innings, 1794, abolished slaveholding in what is now Ontario. The, whatever the many shortcomings of Canada, that's not one of them. But they are producing this video. This is not a private production. You are paying for this production, my friend, $110,000. No TV network was interested for obvious reasons. They'll put it on YouTube. It lasts 60 minutes. And it does include the prime minister, who had to apologize in the 2019 campaign multiple times for the multiple social occasions in which he appeared in blackface, not realizing, he said, as late as the age of 29, that this was offensive and hurtful. The video also includes, you mentioned Senator Bernard from Nova Scotia. He's a black woman, very articulate uh, social worker, Dalhousie, who uh, on disclosure of the blackface images in an interview with us said uh, she found it very hurtful and said that it spoke to the systemicness of racism, power, and privilege in our country. This is going to be some video, Mark. This is, this is really going to be something. And there was no one in the Prime Minister's office, the Department of Canadian Heritage, or the National Film Board that's helping with the production that said, wow, this is a really jarring theme. This is a really bad, bad idea. Maybe they should interview uh, Selena Cesar Chavanes. About, oh, uh, okay, about, now hold on, uh, <laughs> hold, hold on there, young man. <laughs> or even Jody Wilson-Raybould, who got booted out. Uh, she's, oh, whoa, whoa, uh, whoa. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Easy. Wow. I mean, uh, that's that's truly astonishing, this video. I mean, uh, why not do a video about uh, the fact that Canada was a, a safe haven for, for so many slaves who sought, uh, you know, uh, to get away from slavery in the United States, uh, the, the, you know, the Underground Railroad, why not celebrate our role as, uh, as a place of refuge for those slaves rather than trying to condemn us or taint us with that brush? Can you explain that? I can. I think this is uh, political. This is clearly at the direction of uh, Gavinet. It's obvious uh, no Department of Canadian Heritage middle manager was come up with this on their own. But uh, all the signs are there, and that this is in documentation, that uh, there will be an election this year. We expect that. I think there's a 100% chance. And Cabinet wants an election on race. They want an election on uh, diversity, and they want an election on hate speech, and they want an election on racial insensitivities, and that's exactly what they will get. I don't know that that's wise. I don't know that that's a vote-getter. But they see it as a card to play. It's cynical. It's contrived. It's very divisive. And there we are. That's why, I think, Mark. Well, it feeds into uh, white guilt, if you want to call it that. And uh, you better vote for us if you want some sense of redemption. The problem is the blackface stuff. It just stands out like a sore thumb. It's just uh, a constant... And I don't know if uh, the Tories or New Democrats or whomever will raise that issue saying you're running on this i mean you of all people who've disgraced yourself with this behavior now are now what the guy who's going to tell us all to vote liberal so we can feel better about sins of the past it's uh, 
I, I have to say, I, you know, I mean, this is there, there is some mild confusion on this point. <laughs> Um, these incidents, the three social incidents confirmed by the Liberal Party, in which the Prime Minister does like to dress up and <laughs> and, and dressed up in this unfortunate um, persona. I, I have to say, Mark, I'm a uh, you know I'm a Catholic boy from a mill town. I was alive in 1981. I never knew anybody who dressed up in blackface. I, I, I'm telling you, we would not be considered sophisticated, urban, progressive people, just factory class people. That was eccentric in 1981. To go to a party in 1981 and to see the faculty member of a private school, as Trudeau then was, dressing up in blackface would have been considered really strange, really odd. So this goes beyond, I think, a lack of racial sensitivity. But anyway, that's the campaign they want, and I think that's the campaign they're going to get. Let's do one more. Freeland asked to explain MPs, uh, summoned Finance Minister Christian Freeland to explain Cabinet's opposition to a tax bill benefiting farmers, small business, and fishing corporations. Freeland's department questioned the validity of the law after it was approved by Parliament. How odd. So they passed the law and they said, oh, well, wait a minute. Maybe we're just going to uh, postpone it or delay it until January the 1st. What what happened here? Yeah, that's the takeaway. This is a long-sought bill by opposition parties, uh, New Democrats, Conservatives, Greens, you name it. And accountants have sought this for years. I'm going to keep this short because it's slightly technical. If you are a family-run small business farm or a fishing corporation, and most of these people are incorporated. It doesn't mean you, it's, I mean, it's a tax, uh, it's an accounting device, right? That doesn't mean you have a head office and a leather chair. If you sell the farm, small business, or the fishing boat to a family member, your children, you are taxed as at a dividend rate. It's about 45%. That's high. You lose about half off the top. This bill says, no, no, you can tax that sale, the net profit on a sale that is a transfer to your own daughter your farm your small business you can tax that at capital gains about 25 percent well small business people have said look at this is if you're a small business person a farmer or a fisherman you don't have a pension you don't have a dental plan all you own your life's equity is tied up in that farm that shop that fishing boat why should you suffer a hundreds of thousands of dollars penalty when you sell it, to keep it in the family. The bill corrected that. It breezed through the House of Commons, passed the Senate, and became law on June 29th. One day later, the Department of Finance issued a news release questioning the validity of the law on completely spurious grounds and said it would have to be amended. MPs freaked out, Mark. Because there's a larger issue here, whether you're interested in the minutia of tax accounting for small business or not. And the, and the issue was this. That's not cabinet's business. Parliament does not work for cabinet. It's the other way around. When parliament passes a law and it's signed into law, it's a law. The Department of Finance tried to pull a fast one. They tried to undercut that bill, question its validity. MPs were fed up. They met in extraordinary session of the Commons Finance Committee called by the chair 
a liberal MP, Wayne Easter, who voted for the bill and was so upset, he said, Parliament is supreme, don't ever forget it, and we're just going to lay down that marker right now. We do not take orders from Cabinet. It works the other way. Now they want to question Freeland. It'll be interesting to see if she shows up. The uh, deadline is 14 days, Mark. Um, <laughs> that If she does... It will be a very spirited exchange in the Commons Finance Committee. I would hope so. I mean, what is this but uh, a way to punish a lot of conservative uh, MPs, right? Because they're, of course, uh, in many of the rural areas and, and fishing areas, um, you know, ahead of an election. I, I don't know. I can't think of why they would do this except as Oh, a, as because a, it'll cost, yeah, it'll cost $179 million a year. That's why. <laughs> really? It, it came down to yeah. dollars. Yeah. I mean, 19 liberal MPs voted for it. There were numerous liberal appointed senators voted for this. This There's every riding in the country has constituents that will benefit from this. It's a simple matter of equity and tax treatment for small business. But cabinet didn't like it because it's going to cost them $179 million a year. As some proponents have said, isn't it funny that when it comes to small business, all of a sudden, it's austerity time. Yeah. The billions so, that have flown out the door. Disgusting. Tom, thank you so much for coming on the show once again. Really appreciate this, as always. My pleasure, Mark. Thank you kindly. Tom Korski, Managing Editor of Blacklocks Reporter, Minding Ottawa's Business. Check it out today at blacklocks.ca. And we'll be back with more on News Talk Saga 960 and the Mark Petroni Show after this brief commercial break. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on Saga960AM.ca. You were listening to the Mark Petroni Radio Program. Heard exclusively on News Talk Saga960. We are back with more on News Talk Saga960, so very glad you could join us. On this Thursday edition of the Mark Petroni Show, we have Clinton DeVoe on the line. Clinton is a longtime political watcher, strategist, operative, former associate of the Conservative Party of Canada, and he joins us from Halifax in the beautiful province of Nova Scotia, where I guess some of the numbers are coming out, uh, polling numbers, possibly ahead of, uh, of an anticipated election in this country, Clinton, and it's more bad news for the Tories. It is. First of all, I want to say good morning uh, to you and your listeners. I'm looking forward to chatting with you and hearing from your audience. All right. So you've seen some numbers that actually uh, have a result that you've never seen before, correct? That's right. So I've actually had an opportunity uh, over the last uh, 24 hours to actually talk with a number of Canadian pollsters and uh, and also to talk to political operatives um, with the different parties. So what your audience will find fascinating is that the latest Nanos numbers, that's Nick Nanos, um, has the Liberals uh, over 39%. Uh, it has the uh, Conservatives uh, down to 23%. And uh, the new Democrats, so congratulations to Jugmeet Singh. He seems to have developed a following here in uh, over recent uh, weeks. Uh, they are now at 21%. So they are within two points striking distance of the Conservatives. And, uh, you know, within that margin of error, 
uh, followed by the Greens uh, at 6%. I don't think this should come as a surprise to anybody with all of the trouble that Anna Mae Paul has been having with uh, her leadership. Uh, the party seems to be having an internal war, uh, much like the Conservatives. And uh, Green numbers have been falling because of that. Uh, the Bloc Québécois, as your audience is probably aware, uh, it's 5% nationally. But when we look, again, the Bloc is only in Quebec. So when we look at just the Quebec component of this, uh, the Bloc is now under 20% uh, in Quebec. And the Liberals are almost at 50%. So this would be a, a record haul uh, for Liberals in a, like a very long time in electing uh, Liberal MPs in Quebec because uh, we haven't seen that kind of Liberal strength in Quebec now. Geez, going back uh, since the early 80s. Uh, so this is quite fascinating. And um, there's been some other polling data that's come out as well from Léger. So as your audience has heard us talk about Léger multiple times, uh, they also show the gap widening between the Conservatives and the Liberals. So for the first time, uh, Léger has the Conservatives below 30%. And it is a, um, a five-point spread. And that's important because up until this week, uh, Léger had them all tied. Um, the Conservatives have fallen by um, five percentage points from how they did in the 2019 election. Uh, and the NDP um, with Léger show a similar pattern to Nanos and... Um, Ipsos Reed and Ecos and others, where they're in that uh, 20 to 22 percent range. So hmm. I also had a. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, you. no. It's okay. I'm just uh, uh, noticing that uh, one of the things that you uh, haven't mentioned yet was the poll that not that long ago actually had uh, the NDP ahead of the Tories. Yeah. So that's actually uh, that's the other surprising bit of this. So t to be clear, it's not a full poll. But uh, I had a chance to talk to a pollster today uh, who has been out in the field in uh, recent days. And, you know, when they do polling, they usually will do that over a couple of days. Um, and the first day they went out in the field, uh, the New Democrats had actually pulled ahead of the Conservatives. Now... Whether they're ahead or behind the Conservatives, the fact that they are within striking distance of the Conservatives is really fascinating because, um, you know, in my lifetime, whenever we've had a Liberal government, um, the Conservatives are usually in a position to sort of be the number two party of, of voters. And what's happening right now is we're seeing the New Democrats competing with the Conservatives as the number two choice. And historically, that would be problematic for the Liberals uh, if the NDP are in that 20% range. But the Liberals are so high at 39%, and the Conservatives are so low that a lot of Conservative voters are actually moving to the New Democrats. Now, that's a very and strange so, trend. I mean, that's something we've rarely seen. 
I mean, unless it's a strategic decision on the part of conservatives for whatever reason to try to keep a liberal out. But uh, you're saying that some of them are gravitating towards the New Democrats because they like uh, Jagmeet Singh. Yeah, a lot of Canadians view Jagmeet Singh, a lot of uh, like the sort of the suburban moms and dads, the uh, the uh, sort of urban Canada, they view Jagmeet Singh as someone who could be their neighbor or as someone who, uh, you know, that they could hang out with at a barbecue and that sort of thing. Um, and so his likability uh, numbers have been increasing. And in fact, when it comes to preferred prime minister uh, ratings, uh, so of course the sitting prime minister Trudeau, uh, he's at 40%. Uh, but in second place is Jagmeet Singh. And in third is Aaron O'Toole. So this is problematic for the conservatives because the new Democrats as a party are sort of within the, the margin of error in multiple polls with uh, with the conservatives. And when it comes to, you know, preferred leader or preferred prime minister ratings, uh, Jagmeet Singh is performing a lot better than Mr. O'Toole. So this is going to lead to some interesting, you know, it, it, again, for your listeners, this is just a snapshot in time. But if these trends hold up, it's going to pose some interesting election outcomes um so for example uh one of the nanos breakdowns indicated that the liberals could win as many as 217 seats which would be a, a a really big big majority government like we haven't seen a majority government like that uh you know since the days of brian mulrooney um and uh, and the conservatives, uh, you know, again, this is just a snapshot in time, but they would win, you know, probably around 79 seats. So we would be looking at a at a, uh, a 20. You know, the last time they would have performed this bad would have been like 20, 20 years ago, I guess. Yeah, like, like the, the mid 90s or whatever. Yeah, like yeah. sort of that late '90s, early 2000s, that kind of thing. Where yeah, it was still you know, a divided and, and the party. problem that the conservatives have now is that unlike that time, there was a divided right in Canada. Uh, and so back then, they used to say, "Well, if you take 18 percent of the conservatives and you take 18 percent of the reformers, you know, that gives you a 36 percent." And the problem in this case is that there is a united party and that there isn't an opposition like competing with them on the right. And yet they're still down in that 23% range. Hmm. All right. So if you're the conservative party of Canada right now and you're seeing these numbers, what's what's going through your head? What would you advise the party to do at this point? Well, if you are a religious person of any (laughs) of the great religions, uh, you would be praying to your respective God that, Prime Minister Trudeau doesn't call an early election and comes up with a reason to put one off because the way it's looking right now, specifically for conservatives, uh, it looks like a disaster in the making. All right, so bad news for Aaron O'Toole and company, but uh, there's little they can do, I suppose, if, if if there's an election coming up within a matter of weeks, as is widely expected, 
at least an election call, then uh, you go with uh, the guy you've got, I suppose. That's the um, the conventional wisdom uh, right now. I mean, we've talked about the party making some kind of change, but I guess it's too late for that sort of thing now. Yeah, look, I think in the long term, the Conservative Party of Canada has some structural problems that they need to work out. So I'm actually working on a column for your listeners that uh, may or may not know. I I write columns in in newspapers from time to time. So uh, Andrew Coyne over at the Globe and Mail recently wrote a piece uh, where he basically criticized um, essentially the Conservative Party culture as being the problem, Uh, but he didn't really provide a solution. And so I I read his column and I thought, I'm going to write something and I've written essentially a, re- uh, a response to Andrew Coyne. And what I argue is that he's correct, that there is a culture problem, but that the cause of the culture problem is, in fact, the leadership process of the party. And so I think that uh, the structural problems are related to how the party chooses its leaders. And I think that goes to the one-member, one-vote system. I think it needs to go back to a delegated convention yeah. And um, and that would uh, allow the party to, um, to, you know, what I argue, to become more competitive mm. uh, as, as, a, uh, as a parliamentary system. I mean, they and, were and competitive. They have been competitive. I mean, uh, even now, they've got, how many seats have they got now? 120-odd, 124 or something like that? I yeah, mean, I mean, they've been competitive in the past and and they the problem is is what we have seen now uh for the last two federal elections and again this is just a snapshot in time but if this pattern continues this will be uh three elections that uh the party uh just isn't able to break through uh with the public at large and so you know when you can you know, in order to win, they need to come up with that 40% target. Hmm. And the the problem that they have right now is that um, the highest we've seen them is 34%. And um, so basically 66% of Canadians are parking their vote elsewhere. How much of a factor uh, is the uh, the People's Party of Canada, as well as the Maverick Party out west, uh, expected to eat into some of that Conservative Party vote? Is that a major part of the problem facing the Conservative Party now, or is it something else? No, I think it's something else. I mean, it is a problem, and I'm not going to pretend it isn't a problem. So, uh, you know, I have argued now for a couple of weeks that uh, the PP party, uh, People's Party, uh, that they're basically what I like to call controlled opposition. So their whole purpose of existence is to prevent conservatives from winning. And, uh, you know, we see that reflected in their leadership, where their leadership focuses all of their attention uh, on the conservative party rather than the government, the people that are responsible for making the decisions. And, uh, you know, th- this latest poll has them at around 3%, bouncing around between 3 and 4%. So they can effectively prevent uh, probably anywhere from a half dozen to two dozen candidates from being reelected uh, for the Conservatives. 
but, you know, that only benefits the Liberals. And uh, so that is a problem for, uh, for the Conservatives. But I would argue the bigger problem for them, uh, for the Conservatives, is that they need to be able to appeal to, uh, you know, to Liberal voters and some of those working-class New Democrats, you know, in places like Thunder Bay and mm. North Bay and, you know, places like that where the Conservatives used to do well at one time and are just increasingly... You know, it's becoming harder and harder for them to find a base of support. But, I mean, you've spoken to people in the Conservative Party of Canada. I mean, you've regularly had contact with insiders. Uh, I mean, are they alarmed by these numbers or are they uh, apathetic? They are, I mean, what's going through the, the uh, you know, the minds of people on the inside? Well, they are, in fact. So today I actually spoke. What if you could have a career? where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, not well, briefly on the telephone uh, and online with a former high-ranking uh, conservative party activist and member. Uh, and this individual uh, was very well connected to former Prime Minister Stephen Harper. And this individual is very concerned uh, about the series of polls that are coming out. And more importantly, this individual's concern with some of those other polls that the Conservatives like to point to where they go, well, it's not that bad, like Leger. And they see the spread starting to happen where it's starting to match up with uh, some of the other polling firms that are out there. And so there's this sense that, uh, you know, that things are not going well. And, uh, you know, this is someone who I I generally trust and who I think has a very good pulse uh, on the Conservative Party because of the proximity to the former Prime Minister. So, hmm. you know. All right, so tough times. I mean, I, to what degree will the NDP maybe uh, prove to be problematic for the Liberals? I mean... We've had uh, the Prime Minister himself come out and say he's more concerned about Jagmeet Singh and the Democrats than he is with uh, with Aaron O'Toole. And so isn't it possible that uh, that a liberal majority may hit a wall because of ridings in which the the NDP is particularly strong or, or uncharacteristically strong and maybe uh, making inroads? Is, is that possible? Well, I mean, I think it is possible. Uh, and what's more worrisome right now, quite frankly, if, you know, it, it, is that issue for the Conservative Party. You know, how, how will that look to Canadians at large if they wake up on a Monday morning and the headline of the Globe and Mail and the National Post says 
uh, NDP leapfrogs ahead of the Conservative Party of Canada. Um, you know, that becomes problematic not only for the Liberals, but it becomes a huge problem for the Conservatives. And uh, What kind of a psychological impact would that have, do you think? It would be, it would be devastating uh, because Conservatives, um, both in public and in private, have never taken new, the New Democrats very seriously. And they've never consider, considered them to be um, serious political opponents. But what we have seen over the last uh, two months, two to three months, is uh, a new Democratic Party that's raising some alarm bells amongst high-ranking conservatives. Yeah. I mean, there is this column in the Globe and Mail which says NDP leader Jagmeet Singh might have reason to smile only weeks before a possible election call as a new survey suggests more Canadians believe he would make a better prime minister than conservatives Aaron O'Toole. And that's a Canadian press story, actually. So there's some analysis there. uh, The survey found uh, a 3% increase in support for the New Democrats amongst decided voters who otherwise remained largely unchanged in their support for the Liberals and Tories. So they're suggesting that uh, Jagmeet Singh and company are on the rise while the other parties are kind of stagnant. Well, it's a huge problem because right now in Canada, both the uh, the Liberal leader, the Prime Minister, as well as the New Democratic leader, Jagmeet Singh, uh, are busy attending political events and uh, pressing the flesh and uh, being seen at farmers markets and community events and all of those kinds of things. And the Conservative Party leader, Mr. O'Toole, is currently on vacation uh, in Nova Scotia, in fact, um, just outside of Halifax. And uh, I would argue that as this polling data gets worse, right now would probably be a good time for the Conservatives to be out, uh, you know, working those community event circuits and things like that. But we don't see that happening. You know, there was a, a short visit to uh, the, the Calgary Stampede, uh, but, you know, knowing that there's an election uh, potentially days away, I'm really surprised that the sitting Conservative Party leader is on vacation. Now, there is a political strategy that I believe that they're attempting to implement, uh, and that strategy is they believe that if the bar of expectations is set so low and that if Mr. O'Toole exceeds the bar of expectations that he'll come out looking like a genius. Hmm. The problem with that is, as I've alluded to before, I call it the momentum of decline. And as more and more people start to write off the Conservative Party and the Conservative leader, that negative momentum starts to take hold, and it becomes... You end up getting caught in the slipstream of that. Right. And uh, and then it becomes almost impossible to overcome it. And so the only thing left for Mr. O'Toole is he needs to show up at the leaders' debates and he has to throw what we call in football a Hail Mary pass. Right. right? So he has to come out and he's got to look like Tom Brady or Doug Flutie 
And he's got to dominate the debate performance because if he's unable to dominate the debate performance, he is not going to be able to reverse the momentum of decline. And we'll be back with part two of our interview on Saga 960 after this brief commercial break. Stream us live at saga960am.ca. You were listening to the Mark Petroni radio program, heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. Clinton DeVoe joining us on Saga 960 on the Mark Petroni show. All right, so what do you think the uh, ballot question is going to be? I mean, my understanding is the liberals are going to fight it on a culture war. They're going to push diversity and it's all about racism and vote for Justin because he's going to balance the scales despite uh, his history of uh, dressing up in blackface and doing all sorts of things that alienate uh, members of caucus, including uh, women, uh, you know, like Jody Wilson-Raybould, whom he booted, and uh, Jane Philpott and, uh, you know, Selena Cesar Chavanez, who a black woman who claims that uh, he treated her like a token black lady in caucus. And so he's got a a very checkered past in terms of his treatment of of women, including women of, you know, of color. So, I mean, uh, my understanding, Clinton, is that they're going to fight it on cultural type of issues. If you're the conservatives, how would you respond? How would you battle that strategy? Well, um, Look, I think the Conservatives need to find a message that's going to appeal to urban Canada, to the suburbs. The reason I argue this is because in the latest Nanos numbers, when we look at women voters, uh, over 40% of women voters are going to back the Liberal Party, and only 17% of women voters are prepared to back the Conservative Party. So... Uh, you know, that's problematic when uh, 83, uh, 82, 83% of women are not prepared to support you. They're prepared to park their vote somewhere else. Well, I'll say it's a hugely, so, hugely problematic for the Tories. What and this you, is why I, mean, I argue they have to appeal to the suburbs. They have to find a way to appeal to where, you know, a lot of of our women live in, throughout Canada. You know, they, they live in cities, they live in the suburbs. There's they're soccer moms. They're you know, they bring their, their kids to hockey practice. They bring their kids to swimming lessons. They're you know, they're strong independent women who go to work in offices every day. And you know, Mr. O'Toole needs to find a message that's going to appeal uh to women voters if he wants to close the gap uh with uh with the Liberals. As I said, if he doesn't uh, that momentum of decline is going to continue to get worse. Isn't it possible that they have a secret weapon, maybe, that the Tories have something, uh, they're, they're keeping their powder dry, and uh, they're going to spring it on everyone once the campaign starts, and they're going to say, uh, here's something you didn't see coming, Liberal Party of Canada, and that's what we're going to, uh, to push throughout the campaign, that uh, somehow they have a strategy that uh, they're just not letting on right now. Well, there's always a possibility. We've seen that happen in, in past elections. Uh, like, I'm old enough to remember 
Uh, for example, when uh, Rick Anderson, who was the Reform Party of Canada spokesperson, was able to get a copy of the Liberal Red Book in the 1997 federal election and made that famous pronouncement with Preston Manning where they said, uh, hello, checkbook, uh, goodbye, Red Book. And uh, so, you know, we've seen things like that happen in the past. Uh, we saw in the 2019 election the, uh, the blackface incident that uh, everyone is well aware of. Um, so, you know, there may be something that has that same sort of impact um, with the public at large. But right now, uh, if they do have that, and I'm not aware of anyone that, that knows this, yeah. and uh, they... I guess uh, the potential, um, I guess, surprising aspect that might come in through the election is uh, an an economic impetus that maybe pushes some people towards uh, the Tories. I mean, if something happens, if there's a major downturn in the uh, weeks ahead, uh, or if interest rates suddenly spike or inflation, we've seen inflation creeping up. I mean, isn't it possible that there are economic impetus uh, that there might be one at work here that uh, could give the Tories an edge. Well, you would, you would, under normal circumstances, that is a great analysis because historically, when economic times get tough, uh, Canadians generally view the Conservative Party as better able to manage the nation's finances. What Abacus Data has shown, uh, which is a respected polling firm, uh, that the the liberals are actually trusted more uh, at managing Canada's economy and finances. And that's another big problem that the Conservatives have right now and that Mr. O'Toole, their leader, you know, needs to find an answer to. Because when when a prime minister by the name of Trudeau is viewed as better able to manage the economy than the Conservative Party, uh, that means that, you know, there are really deep structural problems. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Uh, you know, within the conservative party and its leadership and, uh, and the movement in general. All right. So it's a, uh, barring a disaster for the liberals, uh, they certainly appear to be in cruise control. I mean, I, all sorts of things can go wrong. And sometimes do. Uh, and so I'm sure that's why the Trudeau liberals uh, maybe are holding back a little bit. Um, I think they've looked at the NDP numbers and think, well, 
there could be a major fly in the ointment if, uh, for some reason, Jagmeet Singh continues to, uh, you know, gain support. And in fact, uh, who knows? It might even give the uh, the the Tories a boost. I mean, when the NDP uh, is strong, it's usually good news for the Conservatives, is it not? Well, it is historically. Uh, obviously, it's a little bit different now, as we've talked about here this morning. But uh, look, I mean, there's possibilities that Mr. O'Toole runs an absolutely stellar election campaign and has a series of policy announcements that appeal to a large number of Canadians. And, uh, you know, you combine that with uh, missteps from uh, the prime minister running a terrible election campaign. And suddenly everything that we've just discussed this morning goes out the window because then we are talking about a potential conservative majority government. I guess what we have to ask ourselves is what is the likelihood that the Liberals would run a disaster of a federal election campaign in combination with the Conservatives running a flawless election campaign? Yeah, I guess the, uh, uh, the planets would have to be aligned. I mean, last time... The Liberals ran, well, frankly, a bad campaign because of uh, what came up with with blackface and other issues. It was uh, it was an opportunity, really, for the Conservatives to win if they had a uh, you know a leader who had captured the imagination of Canadians and whom Canadians saw as a viable alternative. But that wasn't the case, and even then, the Liberals lost. the The Tories won the. Uh, the uh, popular vote at 34%, 34.5%. So, um, I mean, there is that situation where, you know, you have to catch Canadians in a frame of mind where they're ready to make a, a change, and then they look around and they go, well, have we got uh, an alternative that we think is viable? And last time, in 2019, that was not the case. And so, well, I'll give your audience two examples of, you know, if Mr. O'Toole is able to have a dominating performance in the leaders' debate and come up with, as we've discussed, a Hail Mary pass, it can turn everything around. So if we look at the 1984 federal election, the Prime Minister John Turner and the Liberal Party were set to roll in to government again for another four years. And a young up-and-coming guy by the name of Brian Mulroney put on an absolutely mesmerizing debate performance. And over the following 24 hours, the Conservative Party jumped by 20 percentage points. And suddenly the Conservatives were in uh, in the driver's seat and they went on to form government for almost a decade. Yeah, and now, it was a resounding can, win, too. It was not... It was not a, uh, you know, scraper. Yeah, I mean, it, it was, was a, a not dominating a scraper. win it was, in every, yeah, it was a, it was in a grand every region slam. of the country. Yeah. 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 And so we've also seen, not quite to Brian Mulroney's masterful abilities, but we have seen, for example, Prime Minister Stephen Harper uh, pull off a similar sort of strategy uh, going back in 2006. Uh, now, he, he won a minority government in that scenario, but he was uh, able to essentially tar Prime Minister Paul Martin with uh, the Quebec ad scam scandal. 
And that was able to turn a liberal majority government into a liberal minority government and then eventually into a conservative minority government. So this is why I've argued that it's imperative that uh, Mr. O'Toole have an absolutely commanding and dominating debate performance because if he comes up dry in that situation, well, then the polling data that we're seeing is going to, uh, you know, is going to become reality. Yeah. All right. Well, Clinton, thank you so much for coming on the show once again and uh, laying it all out for us. Much appreciated. Well, thank you very much to you and your listeners. Looking forward to chatting with you another time. Clinton DeVoe coming to us from Halifax in the beautiful province of Nova Scotia. Back with more on News Talk Saga 960 and the Mark Petroni Show after this. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on Saga960AM.ca. You were listening to the Mark Petroni Radio Program, heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. And we are back with more on News Talk Saga 960. So very glad that you could join us on this Thursday edition of the Mark Petroni Radio Program. We have Khalid Rashid on the line. Khalid is the member of Provincial Parliament for the riding of Mississauga East, Cooksville. And, uh, well, good news for, for Khalid. Certainly good news for his constituents, people who live in that riding, is that uh, Khalid now is a member of, uh, of cabinet. And so congratulations. He's, uh, he's the minister of, uh, digital. What's, what's the full name of your, of your, um, this is the ministry of digital communications, right? MDG. Uh, digital government. Sorry. Digital government ministry of digital government. And, uh, this is a brand new, a ministry, a department, uh, First of all, congratulations, Khalid. Thank you so much, Mark, and uh, thank you so much for having me on your show. All right, talk a little bit about this uh, department of yours. Exactly what are you going to be responsible for? What is this uh, ministry designed to do? Uh, Sure, Mark. So basically, uh, on June 18th, I took uh, the oath of uh, Associate Minister of uh, Digital Government, and uh, basically... Uh, this ministry is uh, responsible or working on a digital strategy to improve access to uh, services for Ontarians so they have access whenever and wherever they need them. And also, I'll say that the, the current great services at Service Ontarios across the province, I mean, you know, will always be there uh, for those who require them. Uh, but we are just working on enhancing these services for anyone who needs them uh, when they need them. All right. Well, what type of digital services are you talking about? Internet, that kind of thing? Uh, So all uh, services, for example, uh, your driver's license, uh, health card, digital ID, uh, there will, uh, you know, basically renewing notifications. So, for example, if your uh, driver's license is about to expire, you will actually now be able to receive online notification. Uh, basically, the, the goal is to make life easy for the people of this province. And uh, some of these services that uh, at times you have to go to Service Ontario, 
uh, now should you decide or you should should you choose to do it online uh, you will be able to do them online and i think there are some exciting things coming in the fall uh, that i can't speak about uh, just yet but stay tuned and it looks amazing i mean i'm really excited uh, that this ministry uh, associate ministry is going to be doing some great things for the people of this province all right so what about uh, privacy issues uh, obviously ontarians want to make sure that their uh, personal information is safe and uh, private. So what are you doing to protect people who are concerned uh, in that regard? Uh, 100% uh, coming from a, a privacy sector myself. I mean, I'm, I'm an ex-Blackberry guy. Uh, I can say that privacy it is the utmost uh, thing in my mind. And I'm uh, we here at uh, Associate, at the Ministry of Digital Government, we are going to make sure that uh, uh, the data or the privacy is something that we will take very seriously and make sure that uh, we give that comfort uh, to the people of this province that whatever we are going to do, pri privacy would be the number one thing um, for the people of this province. All right. Well, again, congratulations. I, I'm sure that uh, uh, you know a lot of people will be uh, appreciating the fact that they can access this information. To me, this is a long time coming. I mean, uh, government seems to be a little late in the game in terms of updating uh, its abilities to uh, provide these updates with uh, with people who, you know, whatever, whether it's your driver's license or whatever. So I think uh, this is good. And I suppose a lot of that agenda has been pushed forward by COVID and the inability to go to government offices and so forth. Is, is that uh, the case? Uh, yes, but also uh, I must say here that uh, Premier Ford has been uh, from number from day one. He has been saying that, look, we need to make life easy for the people of this province, and uh, this uh, this new associate ministry is something that he really wanted to make sure that we focus on uh, digitizing uh, services. Uh, services that are possible to be digitized and uh, again he he always said this thing let's make life easy for the people uh, of this province and um, here mark i just want to say that um, i really want to thank uh, the people at ops for their hard work uh, during covid 19. i i mean they have been extremely uh, professional, uh, you know, have been working around the clock um, expertise and uh, their diligence in providing emergency services to Ontarians throughout the COVID-19. Uh, I think the team at Ontario Digital Service uh, deserves uh, our utmost uh, respect and thank for, uh, for their great work. I mean, a lot of time, uh, these services, uh, we what we are getting out there there's a lot of uh, background work coding that has been going, uh, and I just want to take this opportunity, uh, this first opportunity to thank the people at uh, OPS and ODS for their amazing work. All right. Well, if the Premier wants uh, things to get easier for the people of this province, I know he'll be opening things up uh, sooner than later. I mean, what is, uh, I'm sure you've spoken to many people in your writing. Many of them are small business owners who've been very frustrated with the fact that these lockdowns have dragged on as long as they have. Khalid, I, I, this is nothing new to you. Uh, what's going on? I mean, how soon can we get back to normal here? 
Uh, Mark, I mean, uh, I'm. Uh, I can say that now we have. Uh, we are in stage three, and uh, in the last week or so, I have uh, been visiting uh, businesses, uh, restaurants, small businesses uh, throughout uh, the riding of Mississauga East Cooksville, and uh, you can you can sense that uh, uh, business owners are are happy. Uh, they are excited. Uh, one of the things that they are happy about is that. Uh, there is no capacity limit in uh, restaurants as long as uh, everyone is maintaining a two meters distance from a table to table. So I think uh, these are some of the the things that uh, these small businesses are are happy about. And I think uh, with the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Moving forward, as uh, more and more Ontarians get vaccinated, I mean, right now, 80% of Ontarians have been uh, vaccinated uh, or have received their first dose, and over 50% have received their second dose. Uh, you know, uh, we are getting there, and uh, I would say that through your uh, through your show uh, to the people of this province, especially the people of Misaga East Cooksville, uh, just please get out and get vaccinated. The faster we get vaccinated, uh, the faster we are going to be able to uh, continue to open our province uh, and uh, and go out there and, and meet people. Yeah, well, there are those of us who don't want to get vaccinated. So you know, yep. that doesn't mean that the province should stay shut down just to, just because there are people out there who don't feel safe with uh, putting uh, this experimental jab in our bodies. Uh, Mark, I mean, I, I'll say that vaccines are safe. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I'll, I'll leave it up to the people of this province to to make that, that judgment. Uh, but from, from my side, I would uh, definitely encourage uh, everyone to to get vaccinated and and again i mean now we are seeing uh, especially with this good weather out there we are seeing that everyone is very excited uh, and uh, i think every uh, municipality is is really happy they, they are seeing businesses reopening um especially like well, it's just- about time khalid really i mean you guys have been pretty slow on this other provinces have moved faster than ontario has um, and it, it's concerning that, you know, we may be moving back into into lockdown in the fall, as many have suggested. Now, the premier has come out and said, well, 99 percent, there's not going to be any return to lockdowns. And yet, every time I hear about the variants and then uh, there's talk that uh, and the other thing, of course, is the flights coming in. And I realize that's not a provincial issue, that that is a federal one. But there must be some concerns about that as well. 
where the flights continue to come in. And we're seeing an uptick, by the way, in the number of people coming in um, diagnosed with COVID. And uh, they're flying in uh, from other countries. A lot of flights coming in from Mexico, for instance. And so um, that is worrying. Uh, you know, 99% is not 100%. Uh, what assurances would, would you offer the people of Mississauga East that uh, you're not going to be forced to lock down yet again? Uh, well, Mark, uh, I remember uh, in, uh, when I was uh, on your show last time, uh, we talked about uh, border uh uh, control at the borders as well too and i think now the federal government has announced uh, in terms of the flights coming in but here at the province uh, we are working very closely with our uh, chief medical officer uh, and uh, i think uh, we have a, a good plan in place uh, right now with stage three i think um, uh, almost every industry is uh, is open, which is uh, great news uh, for, for the people of this province. And uh, as we monitor, and I'm sure we all are monitoring the cases, the number of cases have started to, to have continued to go uh, towards the, 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 the downward side, which is, which is great. And we will continue to work very closely with our medical uh, officials out there and and continue to, uh, you know, have this message out there that in terms of uh, people getting vaccinated and uh, we will continue to uh, look at things. And um, I'm sure nobody wants uh, another lockdown. Uh, and uh, that's why we are encouraging uh, people to get vaccinated uh, and continue to uh, towards the recovery and prosperity of this province. All right, Khalid. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And, and best of luck in your new position over there at this uh, Ministry of uh, Digital Information and so forth. It's, uh, it's pretty exciting for you. Digital thank Government. You. Ministry of yes. Digital <laughs> Government, yeah. Thank you so much, Mark. All I right. really appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you for coming on the show. Really appreciate that. All right, that is uh, Khalid. Uh, Rashid, and uh, he is the member of Provincial Parliament for Mississauga East Cooksville. And uh, we're going to take a brief time out, commercial break, back with more after this. Stream us live at saga960am.ca. to the Mark Petroni radio program heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. And we are back with more on News Talk Saga 960. So very glad you could join us on this Thursday edition of the Mark Petroni show. We have Franco Terrazano on the line coming to us from Calgary, the beautiful province of Alberta. With this story, feds won't balance the budget until 2070. What? Are you kidding me? Yeah, this yeah. is uh, the Canadian, <laughs> the Canadian Taxpayers Federation is calling on federal politicians to focus on saving taxpayers' money in light of parliamentary budget officer data, predicting that the feds won't balance the budget until 2070. Franco, of course, is CTF uh, federal director and uh, based, as I said, in Calgary. Welcome once again, once, welcome once again Franco. Hey, well, thanks for having me on. All right, talk about this. 2070, well, I'll probably be gone, but 
I'm sure maybe you'll be you're younger, so you'll probably still be around. Maybe, maybe by then your grandkids. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's absolutely mind-boggling, hey? <laughs> absolutely mind-boggling that, you know, we were digging through these spreadsheets and, and we noticed uh, from the parliamentary budget officer that the federal government won't balance its budget until 2070 if they keep going on with all this deficit spending, right? If they don't change course, if the status quo keeps going. So this is five decades of more red ink, five decades of big deficits, um, and five decades of more debt. And, and I mean, that would be really unacceptable. You know, Canadian taxpayers, Canadians, we deserve better than that. All right. So what's the deal? Well, by then, you're saying that the uh, the debt will be what? I mean, what, what, we'll be up to by what, four or five trillion? By yeah. 3.8? <laughs> we'll be, yeah, we'll be close to $4 trillion in debt by then, right? So that's, that's an extra $2.7 trillion worth of debt. Uh, by 2070 if this status quo keeps happening. And here's the thing that we have to remember. When we talk about government debt, I mean, that money, that's not coming, you know, that's not growing from the trees. It's not falling from the sky. I mean, politicians are going to have to figure out a way to pay that money back somehow. And if they don't rein in their spending, who are they going to come looking for money? They're going to come to me, you, our families, small businesses, uh, you know, and that's why it's just so important for these politicians to start taking these deficits seriously again. I mean, even if we just look at the end of this year, by the end of 2021, and you look at federal and provincial government debt, each Canadian owes more than $57,000 in government debt, and that's by the end of this year. So if we keep seeing these massive uh, deficits, deficit spending going on until 2070. I mean, taxpayers are going to get clobbered. What about those who will say, you know what, Franco, I mean, we just had a pandemic. You know, back off. I give these guys a break. You know, we just went through this uh, health crisis, and, uh, and so you're, you're expected to run up debt in order to keep people safe. Well, the first thing I would say is is this, right? Okay, even if you do have to increase spending in some areas, why aren't you reducing spending in other areas? You know, you know what the, our members of parliament in Ottawa did? They received two pay raises during COVID-19. You, you can't tell me that members of parliament should be pocketing two pay raises while you have millions of Canadians struggling through COVID-19, while you have so many private sector workers taking pay cuts or worse, unfortunately, losing their jobs, while you have so many small businesses who've done everything right their whole life, save, 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 and they see their money evaporate right before their very eyes. So you can't tell me that there is no way that the federal government can find savings somewhere. And Mark, the second thing I'll say is, yeah, but like 2070 is a, a, a long time away from COVID-19. Like you're telling me you couldn't figure out a way to uh, to really rein in spending and, and get us back to a balanced budget long before then. Um, and we have to remember, I mean, this is a projection out to 2070 and that's why we are sounding the alarm. And that's why we're calling on politicians to, to, to commit to balancing the budget long before then. Yeah. All right. All right. So what about people who think, look, we've got bigger priorities, bigger fish to fry. What's the big deal? Just run up debt. I mean, uh, you know, what's the, what's the, what's the problem with the printing off more money? So yeah. Okay. We're running up all sorts of debt. Just print, just get, just drive up that. I mean, it's digital cash now, but just create, uh, you know, trillions more. What's wrong with that? 
Well, you, you, you have to pay the piper one way or another. No, there's, there's just no way to avoid it, right? There's, there's no way to avoid it, whether that's through tax increases today, whether that's through tax increases tomorrow, or whether that's through the reduction of our purchasing power, right, with inflation. That's a, a hidden form of taxation right there. There is no way that you can avoid paying the piper. And, you know, I already said uh, by the end of this year, you look at federal and provincial government debt, and each Canadian is on the hook for more than $57,000 in government debt, right? So that's a huge hit right there. Uh, you know, I don't know too many people who have tens of thousands of dollars just lying around uh, to pay our government's credit cards. Uh, but here's the second thing that we haven't discussed, but which is super, super important. So until 2070, if, if the status quo keeps going on, we're going to lose out on $3.8 trillion in interest charges, right? So that's money that can't go to health care, that can't go to fixing up potholes, and that can't go to lower taxes because that money would have to go to the bond fund managers on Bay Street to service the debt. Who are friends of the Liberals? Well, so that guy- isn't that a staggering <laughs> number? Isn't that a staggering uh, no, number? $3.8 it's, Absolutely. It's, uh, they're, in like, they're like loan sharks. You know, keeping people addicted to debt, and the more you're addicted to debt, the more uh, of a slave you become. You know, you just become a slave to the corporate interests that benefit from lending uh, money to governments and then collecting it. But um, I guess the real problem is when you print trillions of dollars as well, you devalue your currency potentially, you cause inflation. And uh, I've heard that story. Yeah, we, we can inflate our way out of debt just by devaluing our currency because, you know, if I owe you ten bucks uh, today, well, that ten bucks is you know ten bucks. But uh, if I uh, inflate that, uh, you know, if, if if inflation goes way up, and all of a sudden that dollar doesn't buy, that ten dollars doesn't buy that much, you know, three weeks from now or a month from now, then the ten bucks I'm giving you, if you don't charge me interest, well, it's worth a little less because it buys less. I mean, it's basic economics, but that's one of the rationale that these people are pushing i think for uh for uh, just uh you know unencumbered runaway debt you know just well let inflation degrade the money supply or degrade the value of our currency and therefore the money we owe is actually worth less even though numerically speaking it's the same amount because of interest rates being as low as they are i know it's complicated for a lot of people but i know you're a smart guy and you get all that so Good for you, and I mean, on doing this, uh, continuing to sound the alarm, because the next government that comes in is going to have to tighten their belt, regardless of who it is. What do you think? Is it is that going to happen? Well, you know, I, it's tough to tell. I, I think um, I think there's two things that we 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 can know for certain is that I think cost of living is a real big issue for so many Canadians right now. I know uh, like just affordability when you're thinking about buying a home, when you're thinking about just your day-to-day purchases, cost of living is just such a huge thing. And that's another reason why we're sounding the alarm on all this debt. Mark, you know, just as you just said, I mean, one way or another, it's going to be your average Canadian, your average taxpayer who ends up taking it on the chin, whether it's through taxes, inflation, you name it. But if these politicians don't actually reduce their bloated budgets, it's going to be the average, average Canadian who takes it on the chin. Um, the second thing that I just wanted to say, you know, we're, we're hearing the Trudeau government, you know, make spending announcement after spending announcement. Well, I think what's so important for Canadians to to really ask is, well, how are you going to pay for it? 
how are you going to pay for that money? You know, how are you going to pay for that spending? Because at the end of the day, all the, the money that politicians spend, it's not their money, it's our money, and they're going to have to figure out a way to pay all that debt back. So every time we hear this new massive spending announcement coming from the Trudeau government, we should always be asking, yeah, and how are you going to pay for it? Exactly. Good for you, Franco. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Hey, my Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on today. Franco Terrazano, coming to us from Calgary. He is a director of the CTF, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Joining us now is Miles Kristen from southern Wisconsin. He's at the gas pumps filling out uh, the company van, is it? Is it a van, truck? What is it? it what are you truck, filling up a truck, and uh, right now it's, uh, you know, uh, just over 20 just over twenty gallons, costing $60. Now it's up to, uh, let's see, $70 for not even 24 gallons. Yeah, $70 for not even 24 gallons. Uh, All right, yeah, so what's yeah, going on? Is, uh, Why are gas prices so high over there? Well, I mean, I can hear the arguments both ways on the uh, Keystone Pipeline, but uh, obviously Biden's effect on the uh, Keystone Pipeline uh, has resulted in, in higher gas prices oh, here in the is, United uh, States. This is the same Biden you voted for. <laughs> same, same Biden I voted for. Yeah. Whatever. So still no regret. Okay, so well, he would make the case that, uh, you know what, if you want to do something about climate change, well, they've got to discourage you from filling your tank. So you've got to uh, get yourself a Tesla or something else. Uh, get yourself a bicycle, maybe, or just walk. I don't know. I guess that's the point of it all. Um, well, you, you and I were actually talking about this yesterday. I was saying that the, uh, you know, the climate, uh, the environmental activist movement has been taken over by uh, some people who want to now make it uh, about, you know, race and and so forth. When those are separate arguments and separate discussions to have. And, um, you know, they, they, there's these people who work with the UN who do TED Talks and so forth who've been basically saying that, you know, it's all about racism. And it's like, well, that's a different discussion. And, you know, they're saying that people of color tend to live in these areas where the environmental conditions aren't as good. And it's like, well, no, there's plenty of poor white people who live in next oil fields and coal mining and so forth. So it's really not about race. That's a, you know, separate discussion. Well, you know, it's ridiculous to even suggest that. But everything's got to be with, about race with these people. That's the hard left. That's the radical uh, agenda of this Biden administration. Everybody thought they were getting a moderate, uh, typical Democrat, you know, middle-of-the-road guy, and they're getting uh, Obama Part 2, or Part 3, I guess, if you include the third term. And so the question is, who's running the government in the United States? Is it Biden? Is it Obama? Is it uh, George Soros? Uh, is it the Chinese? Do you have any idea? Well, who's... I am no, uh, you got to make this clear, I am absolutely no fan of, uh, of Steve Bannon. I agree with, or I disagree with him on many, many, many things, but I do remember he once said something about like the management class running the country. And it would, I think if I'm not mistaken, he said it, you know, under Bush or Obama, it really didn't matter so much because it was the same management group behind it. And that's the thing with, with, uh, Biden, there is, you know, basically the lobbyists are running the show. I mean, we just found out, uh, something called like West Executives, some lobbying firm out of D.C. has about 15 people in the White House right now, including like the Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense, you know, so forth. All right. But I, I got to ask you about uh, Anthony Fauci's testimony. 
before that congressional oh. committee under uh, the steady, uh, hard-pushing questioning of Rand Paul, who was saying, yeah. uh, look, you lied um, uh, under oath to, this, to, uh, to the committee earlier when you said that you were not involved in funding gain-of-function research at the Wuhan lab. That's the same lab which many see as ground zero for not only the creation of this virus, but the spread of it. Again, a function, of course, as you know, is just the development of a virus in terms of being able to become more deadly as well as spread between people and species. And so he's under the gun and uh, he's pushing back saying, how dare you accuse me of this? You're the liar. It's getting pretty vicious. I've never seen such an intense exchange between uh, you know people testifying before a committee and somebody asking probing questions, the kind of questions that many people have had on their minds. Should Fauci go to jail? That that last part is difficult to say, but I mean, has he lied to the Congress? I think he has lied. I mean, I I, I think I, the biggest thing to me is just that I don't think he should be the one in charge anymore. I mean, and maybe he should have never been the the one to to you know be speaking from for the up there like that. I mean, he's eighty years old. He's been in the government for decades. And I think there's got to be somebody else out there who's more qualified to speak uh, about, you know, what the medical community should be doing. And uh, he's definitely lost credibility with people because he's gone back and forth on many issues. And I do feel very strongly that he knew a lot more than what he was telling the public and that he that people's lives could have been saved. You know, Um, I don't know the specifics on the funding, but it does definitely seem like there's truth in this idea that, uh, that, you know, we funded the very research, which may have caused this very virus. Exactly. And the spread of it, by the way. And then, uh, on Tuesday night, Rand Paul, the Senator from, uh, Kentucky told Fox news that he would be seeking criminal action against, uh, the national institutes of allergy and infectious diseases director, Dr. Anthony Fauci for lying to Congress about his connection to green lighting research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And he said that Fauci should be should be punished. And he basically strongly implied that Fauci had blood on his hands, maybe the blood of millions of people who died as a result of COVID-19. I mean, should this guy be, you know, be in front of a court right now? Should he be charged should he face uh, justice over an apparent lie and this work that he was doing? It shouldn't have been going on. I mean, gain of function is, is extremely dangerous business. And whether it got out by accident or whether it was released, it still led to enormous m- amounts of misery and death. And so now he's the guy who's saying, you know, wear two masks and make sure you get vaccinated. You know, I mean... <laughs> This is outrageous. This guy is Frankenstein. This guy's a monster, Miles. And I mean, I heard people saying that from the very beginning, and I didn't want to believe, you know, that I didn't want to believe that it was that it was really like that. I, I, I really thought in the beginning that this had just occurred naturally. But as time has gone on, we've you know seen more and more evidence that this did come from a lab, and we've seen more and more evidence to show that. 
you know, we weren't being told the full truth. And I definitely think there should be investigations. And if people are responsible, they should definitely be, you know, held accountable for this. Yeah, I would say so. Anyway, enjoy uh, filling up and, and paying, uh, what, 60, 70 bucks for a tank of gas? Uh, uh, the final count was uh, just over $91. For $91. For about 31 gallons of gas. Wow. That is uh, that is pretty bad. So you're filling up like a truck, though, right? I mean, it's... Uh, yeah. That's a lot of money to pay for uh, for a tank mm-hmm. of gas. Wow. Yeah. But get used to it, my friend. I mean, if you want uh, a guy in the White House who says that it's climate change representing an existential threat to mankind, then I guess that's the price you got to pay is, uh, you know... Ninety-one dollars. That's. I think that's just the start, because if these guys, I, I, I am. I do have my concerns about the environment, and I think, <laughs> yeah. like, for, okay. in, for, in, for instance, uh, the the technology that can suck CO two out of the atmosphere is definitely something that should be looked into, and that there are things that we can do to clean. Well, what the about air Gates? He wants to water. block out the sun. Bill Gates wants to block out the sun. Yeah, you you trust him that's to do that? That that. And I'm not a, a supporter of Bill Gates's, uh, <laughs> well, pretty much Bill Gates's anything. But yes, this whole idea of putting chalk in the sun or into the atmosphere is absolutely insane. I mean, there has been talk about uh, the, you know, the United States government may have been possibly putting aluminum and other materials into the air, and this gets referred to as chemtrails, and then people just ignore it completely. But if you actually look at what's been declassified by the United States government, they have sprayed radioactive material over areas, poor areas of St. Louis, areas in Texas. I want to say even San Francisco as well. They've done these various Cold Wars, you know, during the Cold War, they did these various studies and they would spray toxic things into the air. So the idea that the government would spray things into the air, especially in order to, uh, you know, dim the sun is not so crazy, especially when you've got guys like Bill Gates talking about his chalk idea, and then you've got guys like the, the CIA director, John Brennan, uh, giving a speech talking about spraying stuff into the air to, to block the sun's rays. Amazing. All right, well, thanks for checking in. I appreciate that, Miles. Yeah. That's it for uh, that's it for the show uh, today on this Thursday edition of the Mark Petroni Radio Program. Uh, let's do it again one more time this week, shall we? Uh, for now, sayonara. Ciao for now, and uh, have a great day. Bye-bye. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on saga960am.ca. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.